Hello and welcome to episode two of Hearing in Colour with your host Matt Simon. So in this episode I'm going to talk about structure and timbre. So timbre is a musical term which means the texture of the music. So if you're writing for a band, so I'm just going to use a standard rock band as a first example because I write a lot of music in that format, you have uh, in a sense a fairly limited uh, palette of shapes to work from. So I'd see the different notes and the different keys as different colours and then the way the note is played gives it the shape. So if you play very aggressively um, or sounds like a snare drum which is a, a snap then it's a very sharp sound, it's got a lot of edge on it, uh, very definite. But then if you have uh, a softer guitar sound then the shape of the music is a bit more nebulous, um, a bit more cloudy, it's got less of an edge on it. So you've got only a limited amount of instruments and then with the guitar sounds for example you can change the guitar sound and the voice can be very dynamic as well. You can have a softer or more aggressive sound but essentially um, imagine you're given a Lego set and you've got a certain amount of pieces and there's only really those different pieces you can use. So and imagine the set is unlimited um, in terms of how many bricks you have but uh, the amount of shapes you have is limited. So. Let's try and keep this simple. So uh, let's say you've got some 2x4 blocks, um, a 1x4, some 1x1s, then we've got um, a flat base and some poles. So you could perhaps build a house with that structure. Um, it doesn't matter how tall or wide. Let's say you've got as many of those types of bricks you want, but only those types of bricks. So you would be limited in a certain way. So your imagination, if you're quite a creative architect then you could build lots of different houses but you're kind of limited to houses in a sense. Um, if you have different instruments and different Lego bricks then you can build more expansive architecture, let's maybe some carved roofs, curved roofs. I'm thinking of some Star Wars type buildings but it could be the Opera House in Sydney. So more bricks, more options but then in a rock band for example if you have other people come in you might add a brass section or string section to a recording which is fine uh, but then obviously there's extra expense and if you're out touring then you can't necessarily bring a huge uh, crew with you unless you have the budget for it. So for practical purposes uh, a lot of bands keep the same um, timbre, the same sort of texture. This has a few advantages. So one is that your audience knows what to expect. If they know what they like they want to hear it again and if you're writing you generally write in a similar style so you can be fairly consistent and produce consistent quality. Obviously the challenge there is not to be too boring and repetitive but then you can really master the art form if you use the same things over and over again. This can be boring so you can work within those instruments to produce different textures. Bass player is a little more limited although you could play with the pick, uh, the plectrum, so have a bit more attack rather than the fingers for a warmer more fluid sound. The drummer has only really got dynamics, um, although you could use softer sticks, beaters and hot rods, which are sticks. The singer has quite a few options to play with because it's much easier to change the sound of your voice and the texture. You could sing in a more nasal style, use a bit more body in your voice. Um, you can enunciate the vowels a lot more clearly or be a bit more floaty and etheric like uh, Enya. And in rock singing you can add a growl and some people call this vocal distortion which has a very different sound to speaking normally so this can sound very aggressive. You can add a bit of heat onto the sound or just go full balls to the wall, heavy metal, death metal, that kind of thing. An electric guitarist has probably the most tools at their disposal because they can go through a clean sound or a thick distortion sound 
this wah-wah pedal, flangers, all these different things which give different texture. So you're basically using all these different sounds to create different moods and different vibes. This is something I've thought on quite a lot. Vibes meaning vibrations, but generally in a creative term, you'd think uh, this really represents the feelings. What kind of vibe is it? Sometimes I hear a song and it feels and sounds very similar to another song, which is not uncommon, but it makes me think, did the writer of both of those, uh, did they tap into the same sort of inspiration and then filter that through their own experience and skills and instruments? To me, it's very interesting that they came up with a very similar thing from somewhere very independent. You can't really say they're copying each other because uh, with guitar, bass, drums, it's a very limited palette and there's only 12 notes. You can only combine them in a certain way. And cliches are cliches for a reason. There's only so many combinations and the ones that work, work very well, so they're going to be used. And you can't copyright a chord progression. You can copyright a melody line, but the chords, for example, these chords, they're so obvious and so well used that if someone copyrighted them, then no one would be able to use them, which would be ridiculous. Uh, interestingly, in some of the jazz standards, because you couldn't copyright the chord pattern, what some people would do would hear, oh, that's quite a nice song, and steal the chords, and then write a different melody line over the top. Cheeky jazzers. Everyone writes music in their own way. Uh, some people write music first, some people write the lyrics, and then pair them up. Um, some people have like a stack of riffs, um, chord progressions, and kind of musical vibes, and then lyrics will come at other times, and then you can meld those together, which is what I do sometimes. But I also, when I'm writing, sometimes I will tune into a vibe, man. Tune into the sort of feeling that I want, and then use my skills, knowledge, and then the colours, and think, well, okay, that's what I want to project. What is that? Is that maybe like a green? And then think of the picture that I'm trying to create, and then build backwards. Think, well, I'd like some things there on the top, the kind of floaty bit here. So then I would use musical devices, chords, textures to then get to that aim. Adding a keyboard to the band can help a lot. It can really add some extra sounds. You've got obviously the piano sound, but then what's called pads, which is like big chords in the background just to fill out space. So if you have a progressive band, uh, they can have some real chunky guitar rhythms, and then either the keyboards can go in time with those, which would possibly be just wasting another instrument, or they can spread out the texture, so then you have the spread, and then the impact of other notes, which creates a much more interesting texture. A very commonly used trick for writing, especially in pop and rock, is having a quieter verse and then a louder chorus. So the chorus is always the climax of the song. It's usually the title of the song is quite often said in the chorus. So with much more space in the verse, you get a lot more impact, so you have structure. So the way I see this structure is in blocks. Imagine a cityscape, and we're going to build from left to right. So the intro is loud, that would be a tall skyscraper. And then the verse will be quieter, so that's uh, a lower building. Then the chorus comes up, that's another higher building. Then verse 2 will be lower. Chorus 3 will be bigger. And then after that you might have a guitar solo or a bridge section or something different, which will generally keep the vibe about the same level or drop a little bit. And then you want to make sure the last chorus is big. So if we draw a graph, <laughs> gotta love a graph, of intensity over time. So the column going up is the intensity and going across to the right is the time. So 
it's going to be a wavy line so it's going to start higher up dip down go up again dip down and then up again so we've got three peaks and two valleys in between when planning a set list so that would be the order of the songs and performance i also think of this so you want to start off with high energy keep that going for a little while and if you've got a short performance maybe half an hour you'd want to dip down a little bit in the middle and then start bringing it up again if you have a longer performance, which is now or two hours, then you can't keep the intensity all the way through because it just comes boring and monotonous and tiring for the performers and also the listeners. So you want valleys and troughs, and then it's like going on a musical journey. There's contrast, uh, there's something to look forward to, and it's not always the same. Now, an orchestra has a much broader palette to work from, many different types of instruments and many more instruments. So a composer has these different, what I would call, colours and textures. So the woodwinds, you've got the flutes, which are kind of soft and cloudy, drifty. Then instruments like the clarinets are a bit more honky, a bit like a goose. You've got the violins, which can be very warm, the strings, and the brass can be very loud and brash. And then you've got the percussion and the piano as well. So with all these different instruments and textures, you can use certain ones or combine them to build an enormous swell of sound. Interestingly, I would consider silence another tool to use as well. The use of silence and not playing is very important. Some musicians would say it's the notes you don't play that are very important, or the ones that matter. Uh, Bootsy Collins, who's a funk bass player, said the groove is in the gaps. And there's a lot of truth to that. If you have a long stream of notes, uh, there's a regular push, usually every four in Western music, but if you leave some out, it really highlights the ones that are coming next. So with the gaps, you can do two things. You can either have everyone come down on the same note and give a really big impact, or by not playing the note, you create attention because people are waiting for it. And it, then when it, they do get that, it's a payoff, it's attention release. I also see silence as black. So if it's black and there's a few spots of color, the black really serves to highlight those spots and those notes. Because if there's only a few notes playing or one instrument, then you really listen to that. I'm going to keep banging on about the police and sting a lot, but what's quite interesting is the police came out in a time where lots of punk and reggae and ska music was around, and they had the ska bands had a lot of brass. So with a three or four piece band, bass, guitar, drums, maybe another guitarist, jumping around on stage, and then with a the brass section, it creates a lot of sound, and it's really fun to listen to. The police were only three people. There's bass, drums and guitar so so less instruments to work with which potentially would give you a smaller sound but uh, i saw an interview with sting and he said that the way they got around that was by having lots of open chords using reverb and echo and in that way they actually created a bigger sound uh, i think than having a full eight-piece band or something something like walking on the moon which has a very it just sounds big there's not a lot going on but they use the the few notes there are to really frame a larger space. The song is called Walking on the Moon, uh, so the moon is big, space is big. I think the working title was Walking Around the Room, and again, he'd had the, the chords separately and then put some words together. But it really is very evocative of uh, a wide space. You imagine someone walking on the moon, there's a lot of space around you and kind of floaty because of the low gravity and the lyrics are generally talking about being in love walking back to your house feel like i'm walking on the moon so taking these big giant steps so it's got that floaty spacey feel which 
you couldn't do if the music was a lot faster with a lot more going on. It needs to be a lot more sparse to to convey that. The perceived momentum of the music is also a very important thing to me. If something, if the music is slower, it feels like walking pace. If it's faster, it feels like running. It's not actually running unless the musicians are actually running. Generally, they're standing still or sitting down when they're performing. But in bands, the rhythm section is usually the drums and the bass and often the rhythm guitar. So they create the rhythm, the sense of flow. So if something is, if the music is faster, it feels like it's running faster. But I think to a point, because if it's too fast, I imagine these to be like footsteps. So slow and plodding is like walking, faster is running. But if the music is really fast, it feels like someone is just running on the spot, which to me doesn't really have any momentum because it's not moving forward. This sense of movement is very important to me when I write music because it can get very boring if the song is at the same pace all the way through the music. So what you can do is either change the speed of the music or you can change the, the meter, which is the time signature. Many forms of music traditionally were used for dancing. So a waltz, which most people know, is written in three. It has a very definite pulse and flow and generally the music needs to be at a speed that's more conducive to moving your body. Some songs like uh, Mr. Brightside by The Killers is it's just the right speed for jumping up and down, which is great for an audience. And a lot of electronic music and pop music is written to 120 beats a minute. This is roughly the speed of your heartbeat when you dance into the music, but also it gives quite a comfortable pace to move your feet to. So by changing the amount of rhythmic pushes in the bar or the pattern of the music, you can make it feel a lot different. So it can be very boring if the music is in a march feel, but I like to play in odd time signatures. So instead of a consistent one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, you can change those up and use five beats or seven. And for me, this gives the music a very different feel. It can feel like it's quite hard to describe. It's a lot less grounded. It's a lot less marching. So it could be something flying and swooping around or it can feel a little bit stuck, like walking through treacle. But it just gives a different feel, a different sense of movement to what was before. Time for a quick ad. Do you like free money? Who doesn't? Sign up today for a free crypto.com debit card and you and I get $25 each. Also, you get between 1% and 8% cashback in crypto. Link in the show notes. I like to imagine the music is like driving a car. So by driving forwards at a certain speed, the music has that tempo, the pace. If you want to accelerate, the music can speed up and of course you can slow down. So this is just one dimension going forwards and backwards. So by going left and right, you could change the time signature of the movement so there could be a different pulse. And then by changing the key, that you could lift the music or make it feel like it's dropped in a certain way. So that would give you an upward movement. So for me, the music then can move in three dimensions and the song as a whole is this entity made up of the component parts of the people performing and the instruments. So it's like a thing moving in 3D space and it's able to move in that 3D space because of the changes in the music. Slightly weird analogy, but imagine you are getting a piggyback from someone and they have two legs, so it's a very regular pace. If that person then instantly grew an extra leg, they'd be walking with three legs and their pace and the rhythm of the walking would feel different. 
so I like to sometimes think like that so it's it moves in a different way and it can really create quite refreshing change and quite surprised because you're used to something and then it changes like oh this is different this can be used in many different ways to create different emotions if it's uh, surprisingly uplifting or makes things a bit darker again it's a bit like a roller coaster where you're taking someone on a journey and then by using these different musical devices you can paint the picture and then move them in the different ways so that they feel what you want them to feel i believe music is a medium for emotion as is all art basically you want the other person to feel what you are feeling so all these musical devices and techniques and the colors are basically just tension and release so you build up the tension and then there's the pleasure of the release when it comes the bigger the tension the sweeter the release if there isn't much tension and it's all very similar then there's no emotional journey and the music can be very boring some people might think that it's easier to write music as you go along as you get older more experienced but a lot of people will say that it actually gets harder sometimes because you've done a lot of the obvious things and a lot of the obvious ideas have been done so you can't copy other people you can't copy yourself so you have to reach a lot deeper to get more interesting ideas having a broad range of tools to do this like many musical devices uh, does help and I think this is why a lot of people go solo as well because they feel they've maybe done what they can in a band context and then with uh, a solo career then they can have whatever musicians and lineups they want and it can change a lot more between each album as well. Interestingly, uh, Marty Friedman, who is the lead guitarist for a heavy metal band called Megadeth, left after about 10 years. He said that the music to him was all gunmetal grey and he wanted to play music with a lot more colours in it. It'll be interesting to see if he has synesthesia. The skill of the performers also has an enormous impact on how the sound is produced. So if you imagine uh, a ruler and the markings uh, at each measured interval, imagine these are the beats of the music. So when you record music on what's called a digital audio workstation, which is basically the computer software, it's actually laid out left to right and all these blobs and notes are laid out. So you have the grid going forward and these are where all the notes are to land so a uh, very accomplished band and very tight musicians their rhythms will be very precise and the this gives a very consistent flow and this is called tight so everything's rhythmically tight together if a band is less accomplished then it sounds a bit looser and if you imagine all the parts are being stacked up on top of each other like lego bricks and everyone comes along and drops their lego brick where everyone else's should be if the band are very good you'll have a very thin consistent tower if they're not as good then the bricks will not be as aligned lego and music again if things are really tight that's usually more tension and aggression but it can be a very good musical device i remember when i was at music college we did a performance together and uh, did a heavy metal song and everyone played it really well and uh, my friend's brother said it stood like a house which is how he perceived it but uh, it's very interesting that he had that image as well so that structure you can create it by doing a consistent rhythm so it has momentum but because it doesn't change it's at the same time moving and also not moving
So it's a good way to establish some tension and some structure and then to make a contrast you need to open that out. In other forms of music the structure is less desirable. So for example in some jazz you want to have a lot more space, drifty and explore the harmony with that. But still within that you need structure otherwise it's just wishy-washy and there's nothing there. So often a jazz song will have what's called the head, so it'll be the melody line, and then once that chord progression is done, the chord progression keeps on going and people take their solos and generally the backing instrumentation behind that will be less, leave a lot more space, uh, a lot more texture for the performers, uh, the soloists, and then to wrap it up at the end they'll play the melody line again. So you have the melody in the middle space and then the melody, so structure, space, structure. So you have this opportunity in the middle for the solos which is generally the most important part for the listeners and the performers. But then it's framed, like bookended, by the structure. Otherwise, if it's just wishy-washy, there's nothing there. Now, I can't speak for any other musician on the planet, but I imagine that, I have to speak to some to verify this, before the song is played, let's take a simple one like Fly Me To The Moon, they know that there'll be that structure of the chords and the melody to start with, then space in the middle, and then they know there'll be structure at the end. Soloing is a very interesting concept because you essentially have a blank canvas or maybe not as blank because let's say the chords are G, C and D. You know that you've got to follow that pattern or ignore it but it's still a texture for you to paint on. So for example um, if it was just a long G minor chord and then followed by a D minor for me that would be a dark blue stretch and then a grey stretch. So it's almost like a canvas which is already pre-coloured on the background and then I can do my work on top of that. I also think of the movement of the notes a bit like a being or like an animal as well. So for example if the song is marching along imagine like um, an elephant with a, the howdah on the back and then it's going along and then the soloists when they take their solo it's almost like a bird leaps up off the elephant flies around does its thing and then comes back and sits on it and then the song finishes so within that um there's a lot more freedom and you expect a lot more freedom and movement of the solo again depending on the skill of the performer and their technique so I would like to soar, swoop around like a predatory bird, but then it's still within that gut structure. Generally you might start off a bit slower and then climax off at a higher pitch uh, with some speed to get up there, but still using lots of different nuance to change the movement of, let's say, the bird. So the bird starts flying slowly, it rises up and it can go left or right, up or down, and then also the texture of the notes and then the patterns of the notes give um, the shape to the melody. So if I'm, yeah, I'm kind of thinking like it's a bird flying around, but also if I've got a big canvas and I'm drawing long squiggly lines, uh, but in three dimensions, I can also use patterns within those lines. I could do like um, a straight line, a curve, or a coil, like a spring, or a kind of bubbly effect. Um, and all these would be coming out of my imagination depending on what I'm playing. So to use the electric guitar as an example, uh, this sound I consider to be blue, uh, but then if I change the sound of the guitar and play in this manner, it's red, but the, the red sound has a lot more edge on it. Then 
with this within this wobbly line that I'm drawing, um, I could use maybe a, a bubbly effect like this. Um, lots of slides. Um, these fast arpeggios give a different texture as well. Um, this technique is called tapping. This has a again a different sonic texture, uh, a bit more like um, a web or like a a block of not so much like a block, but it's instead of single notes, it's more of like um, a spray paint where there's lots of little dots together at the same time. So again, it gives a different texture. I've got a few tricks up my sleeve and I consider myself to be a pretty good player, but obviously there's far more advanced players than me doing all sorts of crazy madness, which is wonderful to listen to. What type of chords you're playing over also can be a different challenge as well. So if there's only one chord, um, for example, let's call it G minor, so there's a long blue block ahead of you with which to draw your lines over. That can be easier to start with, but then it can be more difficult to make something truly interesting because there's less changes and you have to imply those in what you're doing. But you've still got the movement either way. Uh, but then if you're playing through a jazz song, for example, where the chords change constantly, there's lots of different colours. So you have to navigate these different colours, which can be hard enough in itself, and then create a structure within that. So it can be very, very difficult, but very, very rewarding. And then once you have the skills to do that, you can go back to a simpler chord progression and it gives you a lot more options and a lot more skill to do, to use. Going the other way, uh, there's a song called One Note Samba, which is a jazz standard. And the melody line initially just stays on one note and at the end there's some change in the middle. So for the melody chain not changing and the chords underneath that are changing, for me that feels like, let's have a bird, which is the melody line, and then everything else underneath it pivots then they move together and then again it stays and then everything underneath pivots instead of the top pivoting interesting change thanks for listening it got weird it's going to get a lot weirder you can find us hearing in color on facebook instagram and youtube where you can find pictures and links if you'd like to earn money with no effort at all simply by having your phone on the data is being sold around the world anyway, and the Tapestry app helps you take a cut. Link in the show notes.